0: Hello and welcome to the life on this podcast. It is a wonderful day today. I can see a little magpie on the roof opposite me and I've got a very special guest for you. It is the wonderful Dr. Vicar Priest, uh, Gillian Strain. Gillian Strain is a fascinating person and very funny and very wise. So for me, just huge pats on the the back for getting you another great guest. Uh, She is a uh, a f- has got a physics PhD, she then has got a, became a priest, uh, and she now runs a charity which is all about teaching the church how to use congregation as a way for creating health and a way for creating well-being. So our interests overlap totally. I sort of see us on slightly different missions where I'm trying to sort of reintroduce the idea of the congregation to the secular world, she's trying to introduce elements of a secular viewpoint around health into the church. And so there's all manner of similarities and differences. And it was just wonderful to meet her. And, you know, she's a really fascinating person. I love chatting to vickers they're really great i need to get more on the podcast as ever if this sort of conversation interests you and if you're passionate about community and you want to have community and you want to have more connection there is the lifefulness community that you can find at lifefulness.io forward slash membership and yeah we discuss these topics once every two weeks and there's just an amazing community of people there. So thanks so much for listening. Oh, I should really say this whole context for this podcast is in, in less than a week's time, we're going to have a new little son. So it's got nothing to do with this introduction, but I feel that that is a important vibe, which is around all of this stuff. So uh, I'm going to get out of the way, going to give you Dr. Jillian Strain. She's amazing. Please let me know what you think of her. Welcome to the Life on This podcast and welcome our guest today, Gillian Strain. And Gillian, I just realized that I didn't know whether to call you Dr. Gillian Strain or Reverend Dr. Gillian Strain. What do you What do you go by?
1: Uh, it depends who I'm speaking to. So I work under my maiden name, but I'm also married. So, um, uh, so if people ask you my name. I sometimes look like a complete idiot. So I'm thinking, is it my married name? And then they're thinking this woman doesn't know her own name and it gets really awkward. Uh, so is good.
0: We always start with one question because to us, lifefulness, you can look at it as reimagining the six congregations in a secular way, but it's ultimately about treating life as though it is sacred. And so what for you, <laughs> Reverend Dr. Vicar, is most sacred in life?
1: For me, I think it's, um, it is being curious. Um, so yes, I've got lots of different names, and actually, I, I t- use my titles or, or or not because I think the most important thing is connecting with people. So if I'm at an Oxford college and trying to be really clever and sell something, then I'll use all the titles. Um, but if I'm not there, I'm in a normal place, I won't because I think it's quite fun and subversive to not wear a dog collar and then suddenly reveal I'm a priest, um, and then that pisses people off because like oh well we would have behaved maybe we wouldn't sworn so much if we knew and. And then people act in a different way. Um, and, and so I think it really depends on who you're talking about. But I think what unites it all, and both science, which my background is not a medical doctor, I'm a physicist, um, and theology and religion, um, and the practices of these, okay, so particularly religious, so the practice of you know, being religious or spiritual, should always be about curiosity and wonder. So from a religious point of view, I believe God created the world, so we well, should be interested in the world, and that's science. Um, and the same with theology and religion. It's curiosity about why we're here and how we can live in the best way.
0: I was half expecting to say God. <laughs> does, said, is, that, is that not one of the things that you would say? Or would you just say that that goes without saying God's sake?
1: There's, like a, there's a different interpretation for every single human being on the planet for what that means. So even if you say, mm. well, I'm, I'm reli- I believe in God and I get information about God from the Bible, there is so many different ways to interpret the Bible. And anyone who thinks it's got it all stitched up Um, are is deceiving themselves or seeking to deceive others so yes meaning of life be god but actually the way we get to god or relate to anyone i think is curiosity and wonder
0: oh great this is wonderful answers and because particularly they really line up with things that i've told other people so uh,
2: (laughs) we do have one other question that we ask all our guests as well which is what do you think is the best of religion that secular society could learn from?
1: So I don't think I'm an expert in secular society, so what I say is not a critique of secular society, because um, I'm also here to, here to learn, and I've enjoyed your podcast, and i actually listened to it, trying to um, get on the right page with all of this stuff. So this would be a comment just broadly looking at society that doesn't go to church, secular or otherwise. I think there's something really important about the unselfing that comes through Christian faith. So I'm only going to talk about Christianity because it's the one I know most about. Um, And that though we have lots of wonderful ideas like God created us and I was made in my mother's womb and I have a relationship with Jesus and it's all me, 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 me. But actually, we don't understand, Christians don't understand themselves unless they're in relationship to somebody else, namely God, but others as well. Um, and then that can lead to stuff like social action, reaching to those outside of the church, and so on. So I think there's something really important about we're not the centre of the universe, um, and actually we we live in a web webs sort of multiple relationships. And going to church or having faith, and those two are not, you know, mutually exclusive. Um, uh, it, it just it it brings a, a non self focused. Um, attitude to being in the world and how you relate to Thank one you.
2: Another. Unselfing. That's not a word I'd ever heard and I love it. That's a great word.
0: For some reason I was uh, even more interested to know how you got to be uh, a vicar via being a scientific PhD, have a uh, not useful in a plane crash doctor. So please, can you say, how did you get from there to here?
1: <laughs> I, um, so first of all, I'm Scottish, but I know I've got a bit of an Irish accent. Oh um, gosh. That's OK. So um, my background is a Scottish Presbyterian. I'm still Scottish, but no longer a Presbyterian. Um, And I was brought up in the in the church in kind of a uh, social way. We were we're in a small village and everybody sent their children to church. It was either free childcare or keeping up with the Joneses. And that was my background. But I was quite in awe of church and church buildings and and actually community activities. Um, I really enjoyed all that. studied physics. Um, but then I got diagnosed with cancer when I was 21. Um, and, um, and that wasn't what I expected to have to be dealing with when I was 21. Um, so that brought up a number of things, particularly the idea that I might die. It wasn't something I'd thought about too much. Um, and that's, that was beginning a more of an adult exploration into, uh, um, I could put on fancy words to it, like an existential journey or trying to work out my meaning in life. But actually it was, fuck, how could I be facing my own death at 21? Um, And uh, I went around the houses a bit um, and was having a difficult time. I then went on my own personal healing journey. A lot of that was through medicine. Thank God for medicine um lots of cytotoxic drugs lots of radiation and scans and so on and was told by a doctor i was in remission on the 27th of february 2001 and i expected that to be my big moment like that was it i could go back to my normal life my hair would come back I carry on with my physics phd which was what i was planning to do but the truth was i did not feel healed at that point i so i felt I st- I still felt really terrible, and I still felt like something. I was at ease with uh, I was ill at ease with the world and and my friends and everything. Um, and so I went on a journey to try to work out um, how I could carry on living. I felt it was just um, you know those children's toys you get where you put like square thing through the square hole and the round thing through the round hole. I felt that I fiz- I changed and I no longer fitted through the hole I used to fit through pre-cancer, and I could to work out who I was now. And that working out who I was now um, happened um, in through finding friends, finding connection, finding community in the Anglo-Catholic part of the church. So very sacramental part. So smells and bells, beautiful worship. It was through friendships I found there as well. And it was through reconnecting with my own story. I went back and met my chemo nurse. Who was a gay secular Jew? You know, we had very little in common on paper.
0: Um, <laughs> that does sound like a start setup of a joke.
1: It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so
0: a- an Anglo, uh, Anglo-Catholic and a gay secular Jew meet, meet on a yeah. meet on a cancer ward.
1: Yeah, and it was the most healing moment of my life because I realised he'd oh. been with me through my journey. So something really important there about human connection. Um, uh, and then I did my PhD. I'd become an Anglican at that point and felt a call to the priesthood. Um, which, again, wasn't in the plan whatsoever. Um, uh, and did all that, became a vicar, uh, full-time priest. Um, uh, and then was looking for a... My husband's also a priest. Um, and we just, he was in a very tough parish. And we decided one parish for marriage, or else it'd be divorce on the horizon. And so I was looking for other jobs. And I found this charity that I run now. It's called the Guild of Health and St. Raphael. And it brings together everything. You know, it's, I don't look like and say look there's evidence of God or anything but if I was going to I would say it's about finding this job because it combines science medicine healing and faith and communities as well Uh, so and I I bring them all together in my work
0: I'd love to get into the uh Guild of San Rafael which is this place that you've been uh you're now working and it's an interesting history and doing some great new work in it but there's something actually about this idea of health what does health and healing mean you know from this particular viewpoint
1: sure okay so the word healing in the church um, I try not to use the word healing because it it conjures up uh, lots of difficult stuff so some people think well I must be selling miracles uh, you know, I used to live in London. You see, you know, Saturday night come here, six pm, miracles guaranteed. You know, that's not it. That's not <laughs> James, what I. Did. Can I
0: just? Uh, were you at all concerned when you first looked at the website that we might be speaking to a healing that sort of healing person? <laughs> 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 I've said me here, if I kept on looking. <laughs>
1: okay, not quite. Not at Although, I was, no, I was. actually, I do wish I could sell miracles, so I would make a heap of money and I save the charity. <laughs> but um, <laughs> But that we're not allowed, to, you know. We, that's not what we believe. Um, so healing for us, the best, better word for me, is human flourishing. Okay. So when Jesus healed people, so it's all based on the Gospels. It's all based on what Jesus did. Um, he spent most of his time in his three years of ministry healing people he met. Um, but healing ministry is is never about simply helping people to get better because every single person Jesus healed, they would have got sick again maybe the next day, who knows when, and they definitely would have died. So for, from the Christian point of view, healing is not about getting better. I know this is a podcast, so you can't see I'm waving my two fingers up in the air, but it, it was not that. It's not getting better. Yeah,
0: but when she says she's waving two fingers up in the air, she's maybe <laughs> more accurate doing, doing yeah, air quotes. It, that's what it's called. Or giving okay. us the bird.
1: <laughs> um, well, we'll see how it goes. But there we go. Um, <laughs> so it's not ever about um, some kind of economic exchange. If you're super holy or if you pay the right money or say the right prayers, then you get something. It's never about that. Um, uh, so what is it about? What, and if you look back, I'm not sure how familiar your listeners will be with the healing miracle stories, but in every single one of them, the, Jesus went out to those who were excluded, those who were having a rubbish time, You know, whether they were lepers or whatever it was, he healed them, whatever it was, they were then allowed to re-enter the community. All about community. They were able to re-enter. If there were lepers, you know, they couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't go to the temple. It wasn't just about having somewhere to hang out. You couldn't be reconciled to God, so you were condemned in this life and the next. So Jesus' healing healed all that stuff. It healed people's alienation from them, from the community, from themselves, and also from God. So when I when I talk about human healing, Christian healing, or if I talk about the work of the charity, what I'm talking about is helping people find reconciliation with themselves. So we're talking about inner alienation, you know, um, guilt, shame, all that stuff. Um, we're also talking about perhaps physical healing if, to get better because we'd like all that, that'd be good. Nobody sh- should be in pain, nobody, sh- nobody wants to be in pain. Um, but it's always got to be more because what Jesus demonstrated around reconnecting into the community and also death. Okay, one of the big problems with the medical profession is people die and that's really irritating. If your job is to cure people, you know, and then there's a there's a lot of authoritarianism in medicine. You know, I'm the doctor with a white coat, and I will get you better. And if you don't, it's a bit of a failure, and it's awkward. We don't like to talk about it. Christian healing ministry also takes into account death, and we're okay with death. Um, so I'm I'm very happy to talk about people finding healing when they're dying, when they're living with chronic conditions, and things like that. So it's really broad, and the big work for me is flourishing.
2: It's interesting because the, the question that immediately comes to my mind is. In what sense is it Christian then? Because I know that you've articulated what is, to my ears, a very secular and humanistic understanding of what Jesus was doing, right? Of welcoming people back into the community and making them feel like they're flourishing. You can have that ethic of care in any religion and none, right? That's not, it doesn't strike me as peculiarly Christian.
1: The, the next leap would be, James, to make it to make the Christians sort of twist on it. And again, this comes down to marketing. And I
2: appreciate that. Yes, there's someone else who also leads a nonprofit That's very important.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. You can donate here. Um, it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave and the hope um, that leads people into. So that would be peculiarly I can't say the word, a Christian twist. So we are happy that, um, we would say we're happy that there's no suffering on earth that cannot be understood by God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we're doing, we're talking about um, people not feeling alienated or lonely. It also links deeply into um, vocation. So um, the go-to theologian on this would be either Bonhoeffer or Karl Barth. And he he talks about Karl Barth, who is like your... The dustiest books in the theological library is Karl so, You know, yeah, massive. Enormous. You could easily kill someone ever, with a, a, a Barthian yeah. tome. <laughs> yeah. um, but, he, uh, but given all that, um, he's very. he's got these kind of um, almost new agey ideas. So he talks about Christian flourishing as living the embodied life. That when mind, body, and soul are aligned, this is kind of the aim of healing ministry. To align them, then the Christian will find their vocation, their calling, um, as well. What to do with their life, um, uh, and, and for the Christian, that's always about service to others and converting people to the faith.
0: And so then you've got this charity that you now rule with an iron fist, I hear, and so and it's got a really interesting history that I was looking at, and sort of some quite. There, there, in fact a, a few different things so like could you go and sort of uh give us a potted overview of the uh the guild of uh, san rafael and reassure us that it's not part of a dan brown conspiracy theory <laughs>
1: uh yeah so it's it's the guild of health and san rafael the website is go health um and this it starts in 1905 and it is your bog-standard Christian, old-fashioned Christian association, but with radical roots. So its aims have always been fourfold. She says confidently, hoping she can remember all four. Um, But its first is uh, help people find healing. So actually do the stuff, walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, Second is uh, resource churches in some way to do all this. Uh, Third is engage with healthcare practitioners and fourth is promote a whole person approach to health, and, and so that doesn't sound so in, so crazy these days. But back in 1905, um, it, it really was radical. I've got in the archives articles from the 1920s talking about mind, body, spirit integration. So they've and they've, so they've always done this stuff in conversation with science and medicine and psychology and psychotherapy as it exists back then and continues. So we've always had that going through. And it's gone up and down like all these all these charities have. So now I hope it's on the ascendancy. And we're really speaking at an interesting moment in history. Um, as the church is failing even more rapidly than it thought it was, um, the pandemic's had a massive hit, but it was going downhill before that. Um, living in a time of a global pandemic where, every, you know, I used to sell this concept the church should be talking about health. You know, it was a hard sell sometimes. Uh, but now it's you know I, I can't quite keep up with demand um, because churches no fine they should be engaging with this stuff and indeed it's a secular um, secular society of so broad brushes she says confidently that's saying you know that that we should be engaging in this the NHS has in the in the, in England said they cannot deliver community help without partic- you know without working with third party organisations such as the church and there was another report come out during the pandemic called keeping the faith which was a study of local councils working, work, local council working with other faith-based organizations, not just church, but others as well. And uh, it's a really funny report because it's, it's, it's one of these specialized MP report things, but it basically goes, oh my God, these guys are great. They're totally well-networked. They're very, very nimble. We should really be working with them. And we're you know, like, well, I'm, we knew that, but now we're being recognized um, from local uh, any, uh, healthcare provision. we've gotten a real opportunity to do it well if I think if churches can engage you know engage with it in a useful way
0: what are the things that you see in congregations which you think sort of are some of the most surprising health benefits or the things which most grab your attention
1: and like you I feel very um I feel really passionate about this and and and, I'm frustrated at the same time that we had we're not further on in this project because I mean the, the the NHS the the hospital system like the universities began in the monastic system you know we've been doing this since the medieval period in fact we can go back further to the beginning of the church we've always been providing health care for people and how, how to do it in a modern way um, the church has just fallen behind in this um, there's a day when i when i work with churches i see organizations that are um to be f- frank very um depressed often overworked, um, uh, and a lot of that comes from the central part of the church. The church is a uh, dying institution, and if you look, and I don't, re- I don't know much about this, but I had a quick dip into sort of the psychology of institutions, and what happens when an institution dies is it taxes middle management, and that's, that's exactly what the church is, is doing at the moment. So there's lots of clergy who had people on the ground who are feeling really disenfranchised, um, because the senior leadership, by and large, of the Church of England and, and other denominations are disempowering them to act. Um, so when I trot along and say, hey, I've got a great project, um, it's linked to missional growth, which is what they're really worried about the growth of the church. And that's not for economic reasons, no, not just for economic reasons, um, but that's because they want to do their job well. I'm saying, look, if you engage with health, if you engage with healing, you will grow your, grow your congregation, and there's evidence of that. So when I work with church communities, I'm, I come with a, you know, a theological spiritual line and um, I'd love to just sell you one product, but that's not what we do. We say, I'm going to work with you, take you on a process of exploration, take a group with you. It's not just about the person. I'm, the more, of
0: a, I'm more of a partner than a salesperson. More of a, a consultant than uh, interested in a long-term relationship. No, it's just, it's just, uh, I used to be in sales myself, so it's good to know that the pattern still holds and no matter what organisation.
1: You know what? I haven't read a sales book, but I'm really glad this is at the least theoretically, so. <laughs> Theologically
0: um, sound and also sound from are. a sales point of view.
1: The whole package. Um, and I say I, I, I will take you on a journey to find out where God is calling you because it will be different. So I used to work at a really tough parish, um, it was brilliant, I met my husband there actually, um, where all the social housing for Westminster was stuck in London. Um, and every single day was crazy. We had we had loads of fights, there was gangs, there was drugs. Um, there was a, a fantastic lady called Tuha Pat, who was no longer with us, who was really badly schizophrenic. And, you know, every day was chaotic and we did so much health stuff. Um, but then we also work with rural. I've lived and worked in rural communities, and what they might do to improve the health of their community is very different. You know, they might be facing, you know, loneliness, um, mental health, and suicidal ideation of farmers. You know, the things they can do to, to um, improve the health of their community in the name of Jesus Christ is going to be, look very different. So we um, we we have a training course. One of the key things for us is building up people's confidence, uh, because it might surprise you to know, but at Vicar School, you don't get any of this stuff. You you get lots of Bible, lots of patristics. You know, if you're lucky, a bit of psychology. Um, You don't get any of the stuff I think really matters. So um, I'm also selling them courses. Um, I was
0: I was looking at theological, so I wanted to learn how to, you know, get better at congregations, but then yeah. I looked at it, I was like, we also don't have any of the medical stuff and any of the other things which would be, you'd learn if you were learning about community well-being or community psychology. It's just, oh God, Jillian, we're going to have more conversations. Carry level, on. Yeah,
1: we need to just um, say. <laughs> So, if something would do, there are some good stuff. By and large, you know, I'm quite good at New Testament Greek, but that's the fat lot of good <laughs> when somebody's having a breakdown or the homeless person can't find somewhere to sleep, which is actually your reasons. Um, and the amount of vicars I have on the edge of breakdown themselves, could they spend all day trying to sort out their phone bill? Um, so, so it's helping them have confidence in why we should be a health partner. When people can go to the doctors, they can go to the Barrett. Uh, they can go, you know, to mindfulness meditation. Why should they? come to church so they're raising their confidence that's historical and theological um, it's also doing a bit of training about what we can do and what other people do much better than us um, so like not getting in the way of you know people seeking healing elsewhere uh, and then really um really then building them up to say actually what i believe that what we offer uh, is 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 higher than what you get at the doctor or you know a packet of vitamin c uh, we offer them and, and so it's really empowering them to do that see what they could do. They're probably already doing loads anyway. If they've got a mums and tots group, they're doing maternal mental health. Um, it's, a, it's doing like lunch club. Loneliness for all people is linked to heart disease and cancer. So they're already doing a lot. It's just bolstering their confidence.
0: They're doing also, inter, intergenerational community cohesion. Done. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Over a cup of tea. The healing <laughs> that happens over a cup of tea. And way, we,
0: we're saying this slightly tongue in cheek. But that is it really is true. James and I have the same the, the the same issue sometimes because maybe because we're British and we don't want to like it's a bit gross to talk about what a difference it makes. But it really does that those places where you can see people who are different to you. I'm saying from a London point of view, it is so easy to go. And you've got your friends from work and then you've maybe got some in your own social circle and you go to lunch here and you go to this pub. And uh, if you've got kids, you see kids. But then if you don't, you never will. You're not going to see if your family aren't there. You're never going to see an old person like this stuff is is the stuff of life.
1: And would it be really normal when we all lived in small villages? We're all like looking after each other's children and, you know, all Mm. mixing. But we don't mix that much. And I love that going to church. In, well, I go to cathedral now. My kids are just you know, tripping up the old people and running around and trying to help. And, you know, I can ignore them for five minutes with somebody else, presumably, hopefully is watching them. Um, and it, yeah, I think it's it's really important and really really healing as well. And I've also, you know, there's lots of doctors and medical services that want to work with churches, you know, with uh, social prescribing. Uh, doctors, they, you know, so stretched anyway. A lot of time people just want someone to chat, you know, they should come come to other community spaces for that and doctors are really keen on some of our stuff because you could see that it would help.
2: So I just first I'm trying to clarify in my mind your model so you you get a contact from a church who would like help engaging in the area of health and you partner with them to figure out what the needs of their local community are and what they're already doing and kind of put a plan together of how they can plus that activity is that kind of what the model is?
1: So we work grassroots. So people can just contact me via the website. I do a lot of work on um, social media and connections. But I've been in the church for 15 years. So I've got lots of friends. Um, but I also actually partner with people who don't look like me. Um, because in the youth church in the UK you probably know this in the church of England, we've got the high church, the happy we've got the happy clappies conservative evangelicals, you've got the high Anglo Catholics and so on. So at both ends of the scale they wouldn't talk to me because I'm a woman. So I try to partner with other organizations, so I don't really give two figs about that. But I, what I really want is to help them to engage with health and healing. So I work with other partners on this. I also try to work a senior level with bishops and senior church leaders Say, oh, come on, guys, you know, this this will help you sort out your economic decline. Plus, I've got all the resources you don't need to invent it yourself. Um, and that's really important for getting endorsements and so on. But um, that's not the only way. And it's good with personal contacts as well. So there's lots of networks we work in. So I try to uh, partner with mental health, Christian mental health charities and other places like that just to get the message out. There is a huge drive on missional growth and economic missional growth as opposed to what they should actually be doing. And actually stuff I talk about about health and healing, because that implies illness and suffering, is um, like a bit of a pariah. Um, to you know being happy Jesus everything's fine Uh, Oh, please get healed quickly because otherwise you really are introducing some tricky theology for us around who's saved and who's not saved so there's a huge part of the church will does and that we're talking like HTB and you know some aspects of it will you know reject what I do because it makes people uncomfortable and it should all be all be just about missional growth so one thing I say endlessly is Jesus said in all four gospels Make disciples and heal. He didn't mean make disciples all month and then once a month to do a bit of healing. He meant that I think that if you do healing and offer healing to the community, you will grow and make disciples. I think you guys have got it the wrong way around. Um, but that will not be heard. So but I
0: think I think there is that that particularly mm. that sort of uh, uh, the strain of uh, charismatic uh, Anglicanism where you can have feel that you're having a conversation with someone, uh, but you. Uh, who's really into it, but you have a feeling that you're not having the conversation that they really want to have. (laughs) Like when you walk away and it's like, "Yeah, it's all well and good talking about healing, but that person's going to hell. Yes. So (laughs) so what's
1: more important... And she's a woman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good. Do we, should we save them? Uh, uh, And so then I can see it, but like from a, from the position of someone secular and I'll speak as a, the 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 people who you will most likely to reach right now in Britain is there are far more people who don't believe in God and they're going to be far more likely to go and get involved in a congregation if it is speaking their language about the things that they're part of. And then they go and hang out and they yeah. see that the vicar's got one head, uh, unlike the rumored two. And yeah. that there's normal people there who do yeah. their jobs. And occasionally someone swears and there's a Christian person whose life is more fucked up than you. And there's a Christian person yeah. who's, who's having more fun than you. And, and yeah. is pretty unrepentant about it. And then <laughs> you might change and you might something might happen. Yeah, and far more than uh, Waiting until you've gone and uh, yeah. done the uh, and then uh really felt it. So that <laughs> well, that's was...
1: that's the church. That's the church I'm trying to run. That because that's what my experience has been of growing the church. So the whole big report came out. Is does belief come first or belo- is it belonging or belief oh. or belief and belonging? So it's all or behaving uh, versus belonging. Uh, so belong first, and belief might come a bit later. But I saw some tactics. So my husband was oh, a bit. Yeah. Um, sorry. So, uh,
2: sorry. Go ahead. I'm just. astonished that anyone that could be a debate the sociological research is completely unanimous belonging comes first yeah people will change their religious beliefs on a dime if they find a community they want to be a part of absolutely it it basically plays no role as far as they can tell it as long (laughs) as the fundamental values of the community are broadly aligned with theirs then the actual metaphysical doctrine is
1: completely
0: unimportant
2: to most people yeah Yeah. i think
0: there's one big research book james that you're ignoring you know, starts with B, ends in an E, and if you don't read it, you go to hell. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank well, that's you.
1: the way they they talk about it, isn't it? So it's got to, it's all got to be about Jesus. It makes them uncomfortable to think otherwise. But my experience. So my my husband was a vicar in London. I mean, it was just a car crash church. It was really really tough. Nobody, almost no one believed in God because the last vicar, and um and I had a I had young babies, and I had a full on ministry of just just coping and back of church with children, no dog holler just, you know, trying not to cry because I was so desperate with these kids. And then I gathered around me another group of very desperate other parents who were also only just coping, you know, they got there. And that, and that was how we grew the church, through just being mm. honest about our situation um, as well. And, t- and so that, that's what I think works. And so this is why I'm on your podcast, because I too believe that <laughs> I, I, don't, I really don't give a stuff mostly about people who go to church. You know, like most priests, I should be most interested in people that don't go to church. Um, and I think the way we talk about health and healing hub is going to help people come to our communities. Um, you know, it's not like I don't care about people who go to church already, but I just don't think that's where my main focus is. Is people who
2: don't hmm. go. I, you're going to win this one, or at least I hope you're going to. I win hope this I do. One, Dylan, <laughs> you're yeah. right. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And they're
2: all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned something there, and I saw Sanderson's reaction so, which I wanted to ask about because it seems to me that there are some tensions inherent in. In trying to provide health and wellness within the, particularly the Anglican communion, but also even the Christian church as a whole, which is some of the beliefs run counter to creating a wellness culture, at least in my mind, like if you are an LGBTQ person, uh, an Anglican church is not the best place for you to get health and wellness, given that they're still quite homophobic institutionally, and and you sound like you've had experiences with sexism within the church. So if you're a woman, I wouldn't, I, I mean, I wouldn't imagine that my first choice would be to go to an institution that says you can't be a priest or you can't lead the Congress, something like that. So how do you navigate the fact that presumably these services are hopefully for everyone, especially if they're partnering with the state, right? But, but the beliefs of these institutions are not
1: helpful. They, They actually hurt people. Anti-divorce, anti-everything they can think of, uh, including women. Um, And we wouldn't, so our theological statement is very inclusive and diverse. Um, So uh, they wouldn't be the ones I'd be trying to market to to begin with, because I don't think they'd work with me. Um, so I wouldn't be going there. I think there's a broader question as well. And I, I do hear it a lot when I talk publicly about healing, um, you know, you know, the, the anger that's there about the harm, not just the exclusion that's happening today, theologically, uh, but the harm has been done in the past, particularly with sexual abuse, um, and it's right, the people are angry and so on about that. Um, and that is a, it's a very good question. Um, So going back to where I've been uh, excluded because of what I've of of my gender, um, I I think they are uh, we're not going to agree on agree on that. Um, And uh, but I also think there's bigger issues um, and there's lots that we do agree on. My experience being when people are really anti-women, anti-women priests, they're actually anti-women. Right. It's not really a theological thing. It probably goes back to childhood. Um, it, might go, it might be related to um, them feeling very vulnerable and fragile. So they, they like to build up walls and, and that makes them feel comfortable. Um, and I feel very secure in my vocation as a priest. Um, I try not to let them threaten the only time. And, I, and I'll actively go and work with anti-human priests because um, <laughs> I think I, I, I try to connect well with people. I'm not threatened by them. I will. We. I will concentrate what we're on what we agree with. And I've had experience of changing people's minds on this. Um, and so I, I do feel it's a bit of my, my own healing mission, unless they're directly misogynistic. And I have had that before, and I get really pissed off at that because that's just a human right to be treated in a civil man in a civil way. Um, so my my approach is, you know, this is um, I truly believe in what I do and in my calling, um, but I'm also don't want to be arrogant enough t- to then condemn others for their views.
0: A broad church that people are, you know, admittedly there are people who are breaking off in some places. I mean, is that becoming more so uh, or less so? Because in some ways I can imagine there's, there's now more and more progressive people at one end whilst the people at the other end uh, probably have got the same views which they've had forever. So is it like, is it getting broader? Is it splitting up more? What's your take?
1: It's a really interesting question. It was a bit like your Twitter feed, um, isn't it? So you just like the people that you want, you're interested in or you're a bit like you. So you think your whole world is just like your Twitter feed and you don't engage. I had this with Brexit, so I was very anti-Brexit. And then I, did, and I realized I didn't know a Brexiteer. So my whole world just crashed when we came out of the Europe. Um, so the Anglican communion, it's... Um, its 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 epistemology is based on four strands. So it's it's the Bible, it's uh, reason, is tradition, and it's experience, uh, and that leads to a very broad church. Uh, so that um, it's interesting even having a discussion about uh, diversity and inclusion because almost every church I go to and every Christian I'm a friend with is very is very diverse LGBTQ. Uh, in fact, right now I'm on a prayer kind of channel with somebody who's transitioning gender. So uh, very diverse and so on um but i think for what i from what i read and what i understand from other people that i'm probably I'm a bit of a minority and the church is going uh more conservative and and less able to to be truly liberal um, and accept other views
0: i'd say that the, probably people who are in the church you uh, probably also know a lot more uh uh, you know homophobic uh homophobic uh going to say uh, Ni- uh Ni- you know Nigerian or West African uh, ministers or congregants than most people do and i don't know there's still something Or you know, in the in the catholic part there's lots of different uh there's also lots of different backgrounds and, uh, i so don't from,
1: I've, I've, I've i don't i i do not think i have any friends who be homophobic um or unexclusive uh, to welcome people in church yeah. but I do recognize uh, I've met people like that. I've met creationists and they're the weirdest you know, <laughs> you know people who believe in six-day creationism I remember uh, meeting my first creationist a very tall handsome uh, man in Oxford uh, and I was so shocked I was so shocked that anyone my age would be a creationist I had to go and have a wee lie down you know there's nothing you could have told me that would have shocked me more uh, but that's growing in the UK as well that particular strand so I think fundamentalism is on the rise for all sorts. I was just uh, I didn't
2: want to, to have you have to focus your time I was really interested in the tension between you want to make congregations into spaces focused on people's health but other aspects of what they teach and believe might harm their health depending on what member of what sort of identities they carry and I just think that's interesting but I also don't want to make you have to focus on kind of some of the challenges of your work i i'm interested in like stories of
1: success
2: right where have you worked with the congregation where you've been able to create something really magical that you think this is this is it really working
1: oh i've got so many so many stories i think um sometimes you know sometimes it's just the ordinary actually the ordinary little stories i was talking to a priest the other day up in uh cumbria which is in the north of England. And, um, and he was, I said, oh, how are you? And he just then told me this, um, these, this, this collection of tiny stories uh, of kind of coincidences, it's what he'd done, things he'd been up to. You know, he said he'd, um, he, his church is where the Appleby um, Gypsy Fair is or uh, whatever the correct term is supposed to be. Now I'm all thinking about diversity, I'm all anxious. Um, and-
2: I was going to say I don't even know what that is. Is it? So a- it's, it's a
0: probably called a gypsy fair, but everyone who oh. describes it probably feels really weird describing it, and everyone like who attends it and is part of it would be like, "No, it's the gypsy fair." We'll
1: yeah, have yeah. In yeah. the
0: same way that Tyson Fury, my favourite uh, gypsy uh, heavyweight boxing champion, uh, refers to himself as the gypsy king and not the traveller king. Okay. <laughs> so I reckon. What I'm saying is, I reckon you're in the clear. Okay. Thank
1: you. Unless Thank you're you. not,
0: in which case, that's <laughs> awful.
1: It's, it's your podcast, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not mine. And so it's the biggest ga- gathering of travelers in the United Kingdom. Um, and, and he's a vicar there. A traveler the community has got a very interesting relationship with Christianity, is very strong, and they have their own rituals and so on. Um, and he's always oh, he just had this baptism, then somebody wandered in, and you know they just lost somebody. Um, so he had this conversation with them. And then I went to the school, and then I did some work with the kids on... Moving your body because God loves you. And they, then they all started dancing around. And then I work with a couple who wanted to get married, even though they've been divorced in the past. We work with them and we can make it happen. He just went on like this. And I thought, like, oh, you told me 20 stories that you have impacted people's life profoundly. Um, and you know, then you went off and had a coffee. Um, and so as I think church is a place with multiple stories this can happen. You know, I've got big fancy, you know, I was healed stories too, because I, I do think that happens, but honestly. It's what happens over a cup of tea, I think. I think what we're about is or, ordinary human flourishing. It's a great phrase. One of my theological friends, Doug Gay, this is his big thing, ordinary human flourishing. It happens in all the small stories. And the, you know, what happened? Oh, then this coincidence. You know, then I talked to him and I felt a lot better. Um, I prayed to God and, you know, I was in this terrible situation, but then such and such happened. You know, that's, I think that's what we're about. And empowering churches to say that's what our gift to the community is.
0: I love that phrase, ordinary human flourishing, because when we speak at Sunday Assembly and in the Lifefulness Project of helping people to live life as fully as possible, for one, what we will say, we want to help everyone live life as fully as possible, and people go, oh, this seems very self-centered, this seems all about people said no, we said everyone at the front, this is not like, <laughs> it's not only the people who buy our clothes or whatever branded shoes which we don't sell, and then, there's this other thing that we have to fight which is that there's this idea that living life fully uh, and uh, there's been other people who with long hair and beards who've also been keen on helping people live a life fully uh, and uh, that it's got to be big and flashy and it's got to be someone who is uh, giving an award or you know flying down a Flying down a mountain on skis, or doing something amazing, or take a picture of Instagram of in the sunset, and we all know that that's bullshit. And that, that phrase "ordinary human flourishing" is such a wonderful way to bring it to life. And there was There's also something else. The linking back earlier when you were saying this idea that you ask for something and then then you get it. That that's what prayer is, and that's what healing is. That you go there, and it's. Uh, and I can't remember who I heard. It was a. A vicar who's some part of some pioneering church's network uh, down in Froome or Stroud—I can't remember—he's probably a mate of yours, uh, and he uh, and he said this idea of arrow prayers that people have got this uh, idea that when you pray, and this is secular people with you pray for something and you're asking god to go and fire an arrow up or down or maybe you're asking to fire an out but I, I never figured out which direction the arrows were going it suddenly seems quite aggressive uh, but the way he saw it was uh, almost like sort of surfing a wave and and i think that that was such an interesting way to go and think about prayer is of going and cultivating your sense of self of cultivating your inner awareness of knowing what your values are of and he sort of described it as being able to surf you know it's almost of surfing the uh surfing who you are and so when people say i went and prayed and i got an answer and that that really brought it to life for what that would be for a secular person to just be able to sit down and to go and get in touch with who you are and this cultivated Sort of inner awareness and discernment so that you can think and be like actually this is the right thing for me to do and uh you know you will, you will probably think that there's one step uh, there's, a, there's a missing step there but it really did help me sort of like what that could mean for a secular person
1: mm, and I think and I, I agree with all of that I, I'm not saying there's anything mystic at all I think when we were thinking about our project, I work with a really wonderful team. I just want to say it's not just me. I've got, I work with um, two people called Wendy and Graham. Wendy Lloyd, Graham Fender, And We are sometimes talking about like, what would be the banner outside the church, at, outside our healthy healing hub, um, and because uh, Alpha, you know that Christian evangelical thing, they've got one like um, the, "What's the meaning to life" or whatever their tag is. And the only thing we could up could come up with, and we can't put this on a banner because it's rude. would be come come here when the shit hits the fan. And I think it's all that. all what you were saying, Sanderson, but it's what happens when it goes wrong. And -hmm. I think that's at the heart of what's driven me because of uh, what I've been through with cancer, which is like a story. One in two of us will get cancer um, or some other kind of rubbish is going to come along. It's it's what you do when that happens. And that's what I want our healthy healing hubs to be. You know, we do all that stuff. We do that gardening for prayer or the mental health outreach, all the rest of it, but ultimately, because we're based on Jesus Christ and his life, death and resurrection, it's what we're selling is what to do when it all goes pear-shaped. Mm. <clears throat> because um, after Jesus uh, was killed, um, you know, there was that day before there was a the resurrection. And this is like the key to our whole of our theology, mm. the whole of what we sell, it's a bit in the middle between Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross and Easter Sunday when we get to eat lamb and celebrate with Easter bunnies. That bit in the middle, we've got Holy Saturday when Jesus was dead. And that's the theological apex of everything that we do because he, he was dead. There is no suffering that any of us can go through that cannot be understood by Jesus, who, by the way, on the cross said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he doubted mm. He wasn't sure. He had a wobble psychologically, spiritually, and all the rest of it. So and we frankly, can wobble
0: too. If you're being crucified, I would say you are entitled to have a wobble. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I would probably yeah. have. I might even have two.
1: Yeah, and uh, the Bible is full of wobbles. I mean, the whole <laughs> book of Psalms. The people going, "What? What? What's going on? We believed in you. So now book we're of wobbles. It is. Well, we're here for the wobbles.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is. And then in your work at the moment, do you have uh, are you starting to find that there's more of a receptive message in uh, sort of like within the church? Is there like a crew of people you've got? Do you have gatherings? Do you like how do you go and uh, build your uh, build your work?
1: Oh, what I would do for a gathering. Honestly, I'm sick of talking in Zoom. Let's do a Um, gathering. By the way, I'd love to do a
0: gathering with you.
1: I would love, I think everything works better when you're in person. This is a poor substitute and it would be fantastic to do that. Um, And frankly, I get more members when I do anything (laughs) in public than I do on Zoom. So so I, you know what, it really is, it's gathering speed at the moment, particularly because of the pandemic. Um, We're coming, you know, we as a a country, and I don't know about the American situation, I'm sure it's true there too, we've suffered a collective trauma. I mean, we're individually traumatized, we're collectively traumatized. And the cure for collective trauma is the social, one of the best cures apart from a whole bunch of therapy is a social cure. You, This is you, this is your stuff, right? It's gathering, it's meaning making, all the rest of it. So we should be there doing it. So I've got a number of senior leaders and bishops. It's all about the bishops. Um, are, are yeah, They're really into this. The money hasn't come through yet, but they can they can see the value. I've got, our president is a public health director, a senior public health director, and he's got our back. And I've got churches queuing up because church leaders are bereft of resources um, and I give them positivity. Honestly, this I preach I publicly uh, twice in the last month and the most feedback I get is, oh, you're so positive, And you've given us a really clear message. And I just think the church, like, oh, my God, what are the other church leaders saying? You know, <laughs> we've got to be positive. We've got something to sell. We, th- we should be talking about th- this stuff like it's changed our life because it should have done. Um, so I'm helping church leaders like be more like that. Just that's all it needs right now. Just be a bit more positive. Um, so yeah, I'm um, I'm currently trying not to overwork too much because it seems to be going in the right direction right now.
0: Oh, that is uh, uh, that's awesome. And I suppose for our for our listeners who might be thinking, you've already mentioned a load of things which uh, churches do where people can go and build health. But let's say there's someone who uh isn't part of a church he's just saying like you know uh like what are some things that like some simple practices which maybe come from uh are influenced by the spiritual traditions of the church which really anyone can do
1: um i think right now um oh it's so down to personality and what people like right now for me what's come to my head right now is nature um getting into nature being um the most spiritual experience i had this summer was a bit of wild swimming i love wild swimming if you can get into nature and remember, and my, my, my point of view, we've God made all this. Uh, it's gonna be okay. It's really gonna be okay. Um, and secondly, um, one of the spiritual areas I'm really drawn to, and maybe it's because I live with two young children, um, is silence, just trying to clear our minds. We don't have to do anything. You are, you are loved right now, just as you are. Sit in silence and see what happens. Um, and I know this is, this is basic mindfulness, but it's part of the Christian tradition going way back the apophatic tradition you don't need to say anything you don't need but to say anything
0: I think there's something about uh, uh about that sort of difference in the mindfulness tradition, and this is one thing which I find uh a bit uh tricky when I do mindfulness is that it's like you don't do anything but you are loved mm. is a difference to just you don't do anything, and I think that that is really important. And so when I go and think about sort of lifefulness of like, I mean, they'll never be, you know, I don't believe in God, so I'm never going to be able to look at the different functional aspects of religion and go. but how do you go and uh, recreate a personal loving relationship with the creator of the universe when you don't believe in it, it's just going to be an issue for me, no matter, no matter how funky I get or how many weird theologians I read or you know, Heath Robinson contraptions I invent it's going to, it's going to be hard to do. But there is certainly something, and this maybe circles back to when the hit sits a fan, the shit hits the fan or the hit sits the fan, whatever, whichever combination of words, uh, of just loving life. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, whilst you're not able to go and find the love of God, there's certainly love that we all bear within us in some way. Even people who might not have had a loving environment are still held in a web of connection with humanity, which is sort of held together by love. And if you didn't get it from those people, there will be the small uh, love that you get from the person that you see in a shop uh, who might smile at you, but that's that's a type of love. Friends holding shaking hands saying, how the, do you do? and And just loving, like the loving life itself and to go and find and by able you know if you're able to find that then in that sort of sense that we're all in relationship to one another that you know if you love life you start to go and feel that love mm. back absolutely uh, and, a
1: sense and, of, and a gratitude as well I think being grateful I think so it's just different words I think mm. I think also what I, about silence and why I've certainly I think what I've certainly experience and encourage people to do. I mean Christians often think that you have to be smiling the whole time. And I was just engaging in best silence for Jesus that and, and It's just so dysfunctional <laughs> to think like that. Yes. And sometimes in silence, you can find what's. Been, what happens is you need to old cry, and um and or suddenly you feel angry, you got to work out what that is, um because having a right relationship with our bodies and our minds is. I trans. I'd say that was you know part of um relating to God, um. And and so being able to deal with negative emotions as well. And sometimes I can come up through the silence, we just still our minds and realize what we're actually thinking and feeling, and realize that's okay too. Uh,
0: Doctor, Reverend, uh, Vicar Bishop uh, Gillian Strain, delete as appropriate. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the podcast. It has been a delight. I'm we're doing the same thing in uh, so many different ways, and I, I love your work.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a privilege.
0: How was that for you? I am really glad that Gillian shared a bit more about her challenges and struggles with the church. I'm really glad that we were able to have the conversation about, you know, the inherent difficulties uh, within the church when there are so many views, which are frankly, as James makes a very good point, detrimental to people's health. And again, in all of our work, when looking at the things that the secular world can learn from congregations, it is really important to make sure that the lessons of and the warnings are also listened to. What is it about this way of believing that mean that certain viewpoints, which are detrimental to people, can end up persisting way after they are sort of you know, no longer common in society. And how can they, in fact, congregations end up uh, being the vehicles which enable these viewpoints to carry on? <laughs> Somehow it seems to have an awful lot of gaps in between each word in that. of so like a, of badly functioning AI uh, for communications AI. And so just in the same way that there's a bit of context at the start uh, that I've got a baby ca- uh, coming up. <laughs> Makes it sound like a podcast release. Coming up one more child Uh, but I uh, my son I I don't know what's happened to my brain today my current son still going to be there in a week's time has also decided to forget how to sleep so maybe that's uh, causing some verbal impediments Uh, thanks so much for listening right to the end I know not everyone does so uh, yeah thanks to Gillian Strain thanks to Dr. James Croft thanks to Mav Shetty and to Roman Rappeck and Miro Shot, who recorded the music that you're listening to right now.